show all about people's personal journeys to Bitcoin. In this episode, I speak with Nathaniel Harmon, an oceanographer and entrepreneur based in Hawaii. He really got my brain spinning on introducing his business OceanBit, which is a Bitcoin mining startup looking to leverage an old yet overlooked renewable energy technology, OTEC. With a strong academic background and a prototype in the making, I see huge potential as talent, technology and new opportunities gel. Listen on, learn about an area of innovation I bet you never expected to be studying. Nathaniel, once again, thank you so much for your time. Now I'd like to take a quick moment to mention my sponsor, FastBitcoins.com. They're a Bitcoin-only exchange based in the Isle of Man on a really exciting journey. If you'd like to learn more about them, I encourage you to search back through my episode library and listen to a couple of key conversations. Firstly, Danny Brewster, the founder-CEO, and secondly, Nathan Smith, the chief compliance officer. Both stories give an excellent insight into the people building the business. In the coming weeks, you can expect a custom referral link, which you can also use on sign-up to get the best possible rates. We haven't quite put the finishing touches on it, so please keep your eyes peeled. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Bitcoin with Jake. Today, I'm speaking with Nathaniel Harmon. Hey, Nathaniel, how are you? Hey, Jake. It's I'm uh, pretty good, and it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm super excited. Yeah, no, it's um, it's always a pleasure to talk to people about Bitcoin and to learn about them. Um, so we've not spoken before. What I'd love to do in this hour-long conversation is learn about you. Like, where are you from? What brought you to the conversation today? And of course, most importantly, Bitcoin runs through this whole conversation. So. Let's start at that point. So when did you first come across Bitcoin? Did you have a friend that, you know, you will probably say, thank God they spoke to me about it. And um, and just a little bit about your, your journey to the Bitcoin space, please. Yeah, so I guess the, the first time I, you know, kind of really, the, at least the first memory of uh, talking about Bitcoin, uh, was back in maybe 2011, I think it was. Um, I had been on, uh, you know, 4chan, Reddit for a long time. And, uh, you know, it popped up every now and then. And then there was that little, that little wizard, uh, cartoon, the, the crappy MS paint, wizard i don't know if you remember that the come join us magic internet money our bitcoin i remember seeing uh some discussions when bitcoin crossed about a dollar or so and i remember distinctly sitting on the back porch of my house of my parents house in atlanta i was uh smoking weed with one of my best friends um and we were just talking about bitcoin like oh it's a you know it's a cool idea okay i like it i like where it's going you know just we didn't know anything about it really but you know both of us were like oh but we missed the boat right (laughs) um yeah and that was uh it wasn't really until 2013 that i started you know that that i you know oh okay we missed the boat so you forget about it and then 2013 and you're like, well, shit. I should have done something when I thought I had missed the boat. Um, and that was yeah. So it was about 2013, I think, that I I made my first um, purchase. Uh, and it was through it was through Gox. And then 
but I got him off. I got him off. Uh, oh, well done. I, it was Coinbase. Um, uh, Coinbase had just come out, and uh, I liked Coinbase a little bit better. So I moved everything over there before things kind of, yeah. Before it died. Yeah, for those that are listening, Mt. Gox was an exchange that existed almost 10 years ago now and ended up in a large scandal. Lots of people lost their Bitcoin. And um, yeah, well, not your keys, not your coins was probably a phrase that was termed at the time. Um, okay, wow. So you, you got in. I, I think that there's probably something this is true for every Bitcoiner is everyone thinks they're late and no one thinks they have yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. So like the double combo. Okay. And so Nathaniel, were you, um, you know, your interest, what, what, what um, angle did that come from? You know, were you studying finance or were you looking at making international money transfers or literally trying to buy weed online or you know there's all number of different reasons why people were first talking about it um did you have any particular um, reason to be interested in it uh yeah i was trying to buy weed on the internet awesome that's yeah, a simple answer uh, i had moved to uh hawaii um i was a scuba instructor uh-huh and had moved to Hawaii, and I didn't really know anybody. Didn't have a good plug, so uh, <laughs> I was looking, uh, you know, buy some weed on the internet. You know, Silk Road. Um, I never ended up buying that weed, but kept the Bitcoin. So I guess that was a good that was a good deal. That's a fantastic deal. That's probably one of the best trades you will ever do, isn't it? Okay, <laughs> uh, a momentary high versus a long term wealth planning asset you know it couldn't be couldn't be more different really wonderful and so and so hawaii i i must confess i've never been is it uh where you grew up hawaii or you emigrated there um what was the reason for being in hawaii well i was a scuba instructor um in the keys and i met my wife she was a dolphin trainer and we decided that uh you know we met in the keys and decided we wanted to move somewhere and Hawaii was about as far as we could get uh, without a passport and yeah. green card, you know. Um, and then we got here and I, uh, I, you know, my love of the, uh, I worked as a scuba instructor for a few years and then went to the University of Hawaii to uh, finish my undergrad and then continued on through graduate school as a marine geologist and geochemist. Um, so an oceanographer. Awesome. And for those of us listening, including, including myself, what is an oceanographer? Someone who studies the ocean. Um, you know, it covers 70% 70, 70 of the planet, and uh, we know very little about it. Uh, you know, most people's experience with the ocean is either stepping in right at the shore or flying over it. Um, and they forget that there is this entire, you know, 70% of the earth that is just ocean. Um, so I, I studied, uh, I was a chemical oceanographer. Um, and I studied, you know, it's not just water, right? I study what was in the water. In particular, I studied nutrients. I developed a um an in situ microfluidic uh auto analyzer for phosphate 
So, you know, all life on Earth needs three things. It needs more than that. But the, the main three macronutrients are phosphate, nit nitrate, and carbon. Um, so if you want to grow things, you know, your plants or algae or, you know, whatever they need, you know, what is fertilizer? Oh, it's just nitrate and phosphate, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I built a... Uh, an offshore device, like a, I call it a chemistry robot, to measure phosphate in situ. Um, and and that was part of your university degree, the robot, or that was something that you did in, yeah. on the side. Okay, wow. And so when you when you study something like that, you obviously have a a natural love of the ocean, and um, I, I love this process of. You know, personal interests often turn into professional work and in that you know you're passionate about something you go and learn about it more so than anyone else did and therefore you're the person to ask and you know some kind of I don't know whether it's professional research or consultancy role comes out of that so um, talk to me a little bit about after finishing university and you know you, you'd obviously found a profession you wanted to be part of uh, was it a challenge to enter and um, and where did that journey take you? Yeah, well, after academia, I left academia and started a Bitcoin business. I was, uh, you know, the token uh, Bitcoiner at at the uh, at UH in the STEM program, the School of Ocean, Earth, Science, and Technology, or SOEST. Um, okay, I was the uh, I was the loud Bitcoin guy uh, in the room, and was well known uh, across. A bunch of departments as that guy who only talks won't shut up about bitcoin right yeah well there's <laughs> uh, a few of us around <laughs> and uh, i was there at the time that the uh the mora et al paper uh came out you know the paper saying oh bitcoin alone will push us over the two degrees celsius bitcoin okay. mining you know if if Bitcoin mining, uh, if Bitcoin grows to the size of Visa, you know, the emissions from Bitcoin mining will, you know, essentially push, push us over the two degrees Celsius climate change limit. Um, and my friends, uh, some of the people I know, uh, it was it was people don't know. A lot of people don't know that that paper was actually written by. A uh, group of undergraduates. Uh, Mora, you know, Camilo Mora, Dr. Mora was a, he is a great scientist. Um, and so, you know, it's touted, oh, this great scientist wrote this paper saying Bitcoin bad for the environment. It's where the whole Bitcoin is bad for the environment comes from. Um, it's the only paper that's quoted in the, um, the only scientific publication that's quoted in that what is it, that green Bitcoin campaign, you know, the Ripple guys. Um, it's the only paper that's quoted in there. And it was it's a two-page note uh, written by undergraduates. Um, and that's not really well known. Um, and so, you know, you have all these groups and organizations and people staking their reputation on this claim that, you know, Bitcoin's bad for the environment. And what they're really quoting is a set of undergraduates. And Actually, the TA for that class, because uh, it's part of this class where, you know, more that Dr. Mora teaches uh, that you, you know, you pick a topic at the beginning of the semester 
you spend the semester learning about you know the topic and then writing a paper it's really a paper writing um exercise class. yeah okay yeah and uh the ta for the time uh, i know, actually know two of the tas the second and third author on that paper are friends of me and my wife's and you know, I, I hosted this um, Friday night sort of palhana uh, for the SOEST, the school. Um, you sell beer and you talk about science. So I was always talking about Bitcoin. And <laughs> you know, I talked with, I talked about Bitcoin to these people. And I, you know, uh, after after that, they wrote this paper. So wow. I may have accidentally uh, contributed to this narrative. Sorry, so um, the Dr. Mora is based in Hawaii as well then? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, how interesting. So obviously, um, Ripple is a, a major cryptocurrency. They've gone on a campaign lately to... Um, well, I wouldn't call it a major cryptocurrency. I'd call it a shit coin. Good point. So Ripple the shit coin has... Ripple the this, shit coin. Ripple the shit coin has got this glossy kind of marketing document that basically slamming bitcoin it's bad for the environment and one of the reasons it says it's bad for the environment is a bunch of student science science kids doing essay writing <laughs> that's and hilarious the, the problem with with the paper isn't necessarily the math behind it it's that they didn't have a you know the, they didn't have a full understanding of the bitcoin network and there are no peers for peer review right it's it's easy to show you know that oh yeah okay using the assumptions that you make yeah okay that makes sense like they didn't get any of that wrong they just the the assumptions that they make don't reflect the bitcoin network so you know if if they had put in the title um you know uh non nondescript uh hypothetical blockchain based proof of work functioning you know uh, would boil the ocean but they went with bitcoin because it's the most well known um <clears throat> but the problem is that uh, what they're describing just simply is not the bitcoin network um and i guess you know i mean i i would be the only peer there that they would have uh <laughs> they, they certainly didn't come to me how interesting so nathaniel in some senses i could blame you for the entire esg fud on the bitcoin network <laughs> you yeah. heard it here first guys this is the problem okay so i want to cycle back you mentioned um you started a bitcoin business uh we definitely have to talk about that before we do you you mentioned you left academia now how old were you when you left academia how long were you in academia for um and just talk to me a little bit about some of the skills you picked up during that process and why you left um <clears throat> Oh, because I had started a, a Bitcoin consultancy group. Um, okay. And it's, I mean, it's great. Like uh, academia, you get to, you know, study whatever you want. Um, but there's always this constant. I mean, you can't, it's hard to live your life on two year funding, you know, grant funding cycles. Um yeah. You know, the school takes 40% of your earnings, uh, you know, of all the grant money you take in for administrative purposes. And it's, you know, it, it's not very glamorous. The people who are in there are in it for the love of it. Um, 
and you know hardcore academia was just not my not my bag i i so my did wife you, is did a, you do a um did you do a phd like so you did your oh, undergraduate master's. sorry masters you did a masters okay cool yeah it's um it's very interesting what modern academia is and when you start digging into this whole grant funding process you know well who's paying for all this funding and the research papers that come out the back end of it like how valuable are they and there's a, a number of questions that often get drawn up for me and in particular I went through a program um, when I was working in startups called Entrepreneur First, which is a, a what's called a talent investment program. And they basically take 100 potential entrepreneurs, they put them in a room with each other, and they paid us money to be there. And there was a very rigorous application process. And roughly half of the room had technical backgrounds and you know heavy academia. And they'd spent many years in research departments of universities and were basically trying to roll out you know, artificial intelligence ideas into the commercial space where someone like myself came from more of a commercial background and you were looking to found digital startups that would, you know, create breakout value. So I've spent a bit of time kind of interacting with academia. It's <clears throat> it's just interesting, the, the incentives that are at play. You just wonder like how valuable a lot of what the output actually is. And you've obviously taken the decision to leave mm. academia and start a business, which meant that, you know, that says it all really. Um, but I don't know if any of that chimes with you at all. Well, you know, academia, no innovation has, no true innovation has ever come out of the uh, private sector. Um, everything that we enjoy as part of our lives today started as part of some grant, uh, you know, some research grant from the government uh, or some government um not knowing what the you know the end value of that research would be right you know or in a real you know uh, the private sector strength is in iteration and understanding the difference between innovation and iteration is uh you know the key um i mean fiber optic cables nuclear energy um satellites rockets the internet itself, uh, all of that came out of the government, right? It was private sector that took that research and that, you know, that that foundation uh, and, and then built businesses on top of it. But, you know, that, that hard research uh, is just not profitable. And as such, no, no businesses fund pure research, right? Because you can't say, oh, I'm going to build a business off of this new discovery that I have no idea that I'm going to, you know, make. It's like, how do you, you know, discover a new particle? How do you, you know, how do you, um, you say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to look at this and I'm going to discover a brand new particle and we're going to use that particle to do X, Y, and Z and build a business. There's, there's just no, there, there's no way to quantify you know, what the output of it is. And, you know, as human beings, we're inquisitive and it's really our job uh, or the job of academics to go look in every corner and, you know, lift up every single rug, you know, uh, and figure out what's there. And then it's the job of the private sector to monetize that, right? Um, you know, it's a, it's a different incentive system, you know, 
rather than rather than money being the outcome, it's citations is the incentive. That's the real currency of academia yeah. is citations and impact factor. Rather, you know, how impactful is your work? The more the more impact, you know, how many people are citing your papers? Um, the more citations your papers get, the bigger the grants you can go after. The you know the easier it is uh, to go after grants, right? Um, you know, like you, and it, it's not you're not going to get rich in academia. Nobody gets yeah. rich. It's hard work. It's long hours of toiling. But it's on your 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 boss your your own boss. Uh, and you're deciding what, you know, what, what I, you want to do, where best to put your time, how, how to generate that new information to get those, um, you know, citations. Interesting. And, and I mean, uh, the elephant in the room to your comment of no true innovations being possible from private business, the, the counterpoint I would make to that is obviously Bitcoin. So, we don't know What's who Sat Satoshi. We don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is. Okay, yes. Okay, peel that back for me. So, uh, anonymous founder, and I'm thinking like, but Bitcoin wasn't founded by a grant. But am I wrong? So Bitcoin is a great innovation, uh, or not innovation, an iteration. There, you know, it's made out of four four technologies, separate technologies, right? You know, you got the the peer to peer network, the uh, you know the the unit, the Bitcoin unit, or the Satoshi, you've got the proof of work, and you've got the, uh, shit, now I'm blanking. What's the fourth one? Um, the cryptographic SHA-256 um, code. And all of these things, came, all of those core technologies, you know, when was um, uh, uh, David Chom wrote the, the, published the paper about um you know the initial paper of blockchains back in the yeah. 70s right 79 um that was grant funded yeah so you know he didn't he had when he wrote that paper and did the research uh he had no idea what would come out of it and in fact nothing came out of it for 30 years until somebody plugged in a proof of work to it and put a unit of, you know, and then transmitted it over yeah. the peer-to-peer uh, -peer network. Again, the peer-to-peer -peer network funded by the government. Yeah. So Satoshi was a brilliant, I mean, as brilliant and genius as he was, it is in itself an iteration on top of, you know, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? I love that phrase. Yeah. Gosh, what, and it really gets your brain going, doesn't it? So, so what is innovation? What is iteration? And you know, how do we get creative? And what is the ROI on creativity? You know, I often think of rock stars getting smashed up and like writing songs. It's like, you can't put a price on that, like moment, can you, right? Um, and that's a very creative, iterative process. You don't write a song overnight. Well, some people write it in two minutes, but it's a, well, that, that, the other phrase being, you know, great artists steal. You know, things yeah. come from everywhere. The influence that you take on, on, or the inspiration that you take. Gosh, how interesting! You're not going to sit down and you know say, "I'm going to write." Uh, you know, if you're Led Zeppelin or the Beatles, I'm going to write. You know, Zep three, right? I'm going to sit down, and <laughs> these these are the songs that I'm going to write. Here, here's the album. No, it's uh, you have to sit down for you know, 
some amount of time. You don't, you have no idea how much time it's going to take. And you say, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to get into the creative, you know, process. And then hopefully something comes out of it, right? And not a not everything that academia produces is valuable. Absolutely right. But everything of value that we have came out of academia. Yeah. Um, and so okay. it's an important institution that should that that we absolutely need. Is it broken in its current state? Sure. Um, but we need fixing it is is something separate from getting rid of it. Yeah. No, fair enough. And I think the point is that there's a there's a time and a place where the creative process should be cultured um, and curated and, and, and steered in the right direction. And, you know, the future that we see for those of us that really believe in Bitcoin is a huge amount of humans with a lot of spare time on their hands because they're not going to be, you know, working their asses off on the kind of inflationary monetary policy infused rabbit wheel. Uh, and they'll be able to think about problems they have in day-to-day life or be creative on their passions. And that's a whole, that's a whole other subject. I, I don't want to take us down there uh, quite yet, Nathaniel. We <laughs> yeah, could... we've, got, we've gotten away from... So to, uh, let me make a good segue. Um, yeah, go on. My, my current business, uh, Ocean Bit. Um, yeah, sorry. So, and is this the first business you started after academia? or? No, let's, let's go back I to there. So, so you left academia after your master's and you started a Bitcoin business. Tell us yeah. about that. It was just a general consultancy software development company. Um, I, I pretty much, uh, I, I built a bunch of cool stuff, but honestly, what paid the bills was teaching rich people how to say, uh, you know, stick their Bitcoin into a hard hardware wallet. Um, cool. and that's really it. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, I, so I had had this idea, uh, the idea for ocean bit, my new business, um, sure. back in my, my time in academia, um, you know, the, the idea that Bitcoin was a buyer of last resort for stranded renewable energy, curtailed renewable energy, and that it was, and I had, you know, that that's what I was talking about that gave these people the idea for that more at all paper, um, right of how you know how bitcoin is not bad for the environment um and i had written a paper uh you know written up uh not not a i never published it but i had taken this you know uh paper this thesis that bitcoin's not bad for the government i took it to my department uh you know people in my department people in the economics department all the way up to the dean of soest um and essentially, they they loved the idea that Bitcoin could provide this buyer of last resort for um, renewable energy. Uh, they loved the idea that there was a buyer of last resort. But as soon as they would ask, well, who is this buyer that's going to buy all this extra energy? And then you have to say, well, it's, it, it's Bitcoin. And um, at that point, most of the conversations were shut down immediately because Bitcoin, of course, is bad for the environment. Um, yeah, wow. And so, you know, I, I got discouraged and kind of abandoned it. And the when was that? Know, sorry, roughly. That was around 2017 or so. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So, um, what I love about that is that the the buyer of last resort. And this idea of monetizing stranded energy assets is so big 
that even in the five years that's gone by since you were talking about this, lots has changed, but the the, the general perception I would say hasn't at all, right? It's just a big idea that you know even the large energy companies that are incentivized to get their heads around it still haven't quite got there. Um, interesting. Okay, yeah, please carry on, carry on. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I was looking at at the time was, you know, how, how Hawaii can actually move to 100% renewable energy. We had just passed this law um, that Hawaii has to move to 100% renewable energy by 2045. So I was interested in, well, how do, how do, how do we actually do that? And the answer was, we have no way of, of doing that. Um, you know, we have a lot of energy. Uh, you know, it's it's very sunny here. Uh, plenty of wind. Uh, I live on the windward side of, of, of Oahu. Um, the problem is we don't have land. There's yeah. no land, right? Um, the big island of Hawaii has geothermal energy. But not only is Hawaii itself you know, stranded in the middle of, we have our own grid here, but not only do we have our own grid, each individual island has a separate grid. So there's no way of getting the energy that's on the big island to Oahu, where the major population centers are. You know, Honolulu is here out of the, you know, a million of the 1.4 million people who live in Hawaii live on Oahu, um, which is, we just have no way of getting at that geothermal energy and there's just simply not enough land for the solar panels and batteries or, you know, wind farms uh, that we would need to replace our current fossil fuel infrastructure. Um, and so at, around that same time, um, Makai Ocean Engineering, uh, this company here uh, on Oahu, built the first grid connected OTEC plant. Uh, OTEC is Ocean Thermal Energy Plant, built it on the big island of, uh, you know, the big island of Hawaii, um, kind of a testing facility. And, you know, you every, every, every report says, oh, okay, OTEC could, is the only renewable energy source that could theoretically get us to 100%. But as far as the plans go to get us there, not a single one included OTEC. So there was this disparity like, oh, yes, OTEC could provide us 100% of our energy in a renewable way, but we're just not going to do that. And so we have no way of of, of getting there. Um, I think right now the plan is, uh, you know, is uh, biofuels, right, which are which are uh, not renewable. You're still burning <laughs> carbon, yeah. right? Um Biofuels, the, the whole issue with that as well being, is it food or is it fuel? So right. any any piece of land that could, in theory, grow a biofuel is also a piece of land that could grow food for humans, which is an ethical dilemma that will always face that industry, um, which I find interesting. Gosh, isn't that funny? So and, and anyone who spent more than you know 10 minutes in the Bitcoin space will, generally speaking, have a certain view on the world that bitcoin actually draws out and i'm only talking from my own uh, experience but you know otec is a solution that should be part of the energy mix for hawaii's 100 percent renewable future but it wasn't 
even though it was claimed to potentially be a very, very key part of that. Why? Was the government in some ways incentivized to use biofuel businesses? Was there some kind of lobbying going on at the top of the business uh, pile to persuade the government to suggest that as the, the route forwards? I don't know the answer to that, but certainly um, as soon as Bitcoin comes into conversation and and yeah, anyway, it just, it gets a bit of a mess, doesn't it? You're like, well, wh- why was that not part of the, the, the energy mix? Or was it just, it just hadn't been proposed? It was too new. Um, so I, I guess for, for the audience, let me give a bit of back, a uh, bit of background on OTEC. Please. Yeah. Uh, again, it's ocean thermal energy conversion. And it uses uh, the difference in temperature between warm uh, surface water in the ocean and deep cold water to run a heat engine. Um, And so it works best between 23 degrees and 23 degrees, right? It works best in the tropics where, uh, you know, it's 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 nice and warm at the surface, but very cold at the, you know, at the bottom of the ocean. Um, and it's been around for about 150 years. It's not a new. It's not a new technology. Um, great minds, like I mean, Nikola Tesla worked on it uh, at one point, and you know, he we still use what he he contributed. Again, we're stand, standing on the you know shoulders of giants, right? And the first OTEC plant was built in the 1930s. Um, but every single you know. And by I think there have been 14 um, OTEC plants built to date, but they're all on the small scale, right? Small scale research and testing. Um, And the reason there's money for all these OTEC, you know, small scale OTEC plants is because it's well understood that once you get to, you know, utility scale power, uh, it becomes commercially profitable. Um, So you can get private funding there. So there's you know, grant funding and research funding at the small end and private funding at the large end. The problem is that, well, you have to build somewhere in the middle first and you run into that classic economies of scale problem where it would essentially, if you wanted to build somewhere in the 10 megawatt range, uh, which is in that mid scale and, you know, demonstrate that it works, you know, a scaled up prototype works for, you know, will work for 30, 40, 50 years. Well, there it would be essentially a complete financial loss because even here in Hawaii at 33 cents per kilowatt hour, it's still too expensive for our grid to handle, right? Nobody's gonna pay, you know, 50 cents or a dollar per kilowatt hour. That's that's ridiculous. Nobody can afford that. Um, and so you have to dump all this money, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into a prototype that's going to be a complete financial loss and you know that it's too big it's too expensive for the government but it's not profitable enough for the private market so there's this you know it's called the innovation valley of death um and so you know one of the idea i was writing this this you know thesis up um and one of the things that i had mentioned is that oh otec is the the perfect application for this. You know, I was trying to, how do we get to 100% renewable energy? And then, you know, how how do we get OTEC up there? And it turns out that I think Bitcoin is the technology that OTEC's been waiting for. Um, 
You know, OTEC is uh, unlike, you know, your, your hydropower, where you have to dam up a river and completely change the landscape. OTEC is done offshore. So, you know, if I say plant, I'm talking about a, a ship, essentially like a big platform out in the ocean uh, with a with a giant hose, you know, going down like a big straw. Um, and the, you know, so you have to have, uh, you know, in order to get the energy from this offshore platform to land, there's a big cable, right? Um, and that can range from $40 million to $100 million, depending on where you are. Well, if nobody's going to buy that energy on land, you don't necessarily need that cable. Who Nobody's going to buy it? What do you need the cable for, right? So, you know, and this, is, this has been thought about, well, you cut the cable, okay. Well, who do you sell the energy to was the problem. Um, and so the answer is, well, if you cut the cable, you can... Uh, now you, you can mine Bitcoin. Um, you can sell that energy to the Bitcoin. You know, you save on CapEx and sell the energy, all the energy to the Bitcoin network just to get this 10 megawatt, you know, prototype funded. Um, and then you can go even further now that you're not tethered to land. Well, you don't need a mooring to keep you in place. Uh, so that's tens of millions of dollars, you know, years of permitting costs. Um, and now that you're neither tethered to land nor moored in place, well, the that first OTEC plant that was built in the 1930s, it was built in Cuba. And, um, well, they didn't have great hurricane tracking at the time. So a few months into its operation, it got, it got wow. totaled. Um, so, well, if you're not moored in place and you're not tethered to land, well, you can avoid the cost of hurricane proofing, uh, you know, by just moving that plant that's just floating to yeah. somewhere without hurricanes. So the yeah. equator, right? There's there's no hurricanes at the equator. Um, and it turns out if you move to the equator, you actually have a, a higher uh, sea surface temperature. So here in Hawaii, you know, sea surface temperature is around 26 degrees Celsius. At the equator, it's 32 degrees Celsius. And uh, OTEC energy generation scales with the square of that delta T. So by moving from Hawaii to the equator, you're actually able to generate 70% more energy with the same hardware. Um, wow. So, you know, you're, you're cutting CapEx, uh, you know, by, by eliminating some of your biggest costs, and, you know, those costs don't really make a different that big of a difference at the large scale. It's just they don't scale down well, right? That cable still has to be the same length. Uh, whether you're generating, you know, 400 megawatts or 10 megawatts, that cable is that the length. Of, so it doesn't scale down well. Um, so you're cutting all these huge costs. You're generating more energy. And then almost as importantly... One of the byproducts, uh, the waste product of OTEC is an infinite supply of freezing cold water. Well, the two major cost components of Bitcoin mining are the energy to power the machines and the energy to cool the machines, right? So you're getting one of those two major costs of Bitcoin mining for free as a wow. waste product. Um, 
So with all of that, we think that we can get a 10 megawatt OTEC plant um, funded and then prove that it works, enabling us to go to the large scale, uh, you know, 100 plus megawatts uh, in power. We've identified about a, a thousand carbon-based power plants around the world that could theoretically be replaced if OTEC was to, you know, get to scale. Um, wow. And, you know, so there's there's about eight terawatts of OTEC uh, power available in the ocean. That's, what is that, about 40% of uh, the current global energy uh, capacity. Um, and, you know, a lot of, it, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, Kardashev, are you familiar with the Kardashev uh, scale? Uh, regardless of whether I am or am not, describe it as if the listener doesn't know. Uh, so the way to judge a you know society is uh, by energy use, right? Uh, the more energy you use, the more advanced you are. Uh, so we, as you know, the human race, we are currently Kardashev level zero. Uh, Kardashev level one is you use all the energy uh, that that comes to your planet. Right. You use all the energy of your planet. Uh, Kardashev level two is you use all the energy from your star. Uh, and then Kardashev level three is you use all the energy of your galaxy. Um, so, you know, of the energy, you know, the, the, the hits comes to us um, from the sun. Uh, what is it? Some like all it's like nearly 50% of all the solar energy that arrives on planet Earth lands uh, in the tropical oceans. Um, and so there's just this vast amount of energy available to us in the oceans that nobody is talking about. Um, and so we we want to go get it. Brilliant. We think Bitcoin is the, the the catalyst for that. So one of the things that I've loved about starting this podcast is, and it's to me, I think one of the most valuable parts of you know getting to speak to people like yourselves and learning about uh, what everyone's working on is, and, and I spoke about this just offline at the start to update you as to what this is all about. But people's lenses on the world, i.e., their unique experience through life. You know, for whatever reason you decided to go to Hawaii, for whatever reason you decided to become an oceanographer, for whatever reason you were buying weed online <laughs> and you ended up learning about Bitcoin and you pieced it all together to go, well, hang on, why the fuck isn't someone doing anything about this with these, you know, iterations? Like it's just an iteration, all of these different things that have been developed from different parts of, of, of human history, put them together and you get something that wasn't possible before. You know, the guys that set up the first OTEC plant in Cuba didn't even know the internet was going to be invented, let alone Bitcoin. And and that's like, that's just so exciting, isn't it? And so immediately gets me thinking, well, so I, I have a background as well as a shipping broker. And so I've worked with the maritime industry uh, very closely. And one of the benefits in some cases, but in others would, would view it as a disbenefit of operating at, at sea is that there's no law, right? You're in international waters. So trying to get a a permit to you know open a new mine or a gas plant or a, uh, a an energy business of some form on land nightmare regulatory nightmare so securing cheap 
uh, input energy is very, very hard. And there are a few places in the world that are extremely good at this that essentially have subsidized energy. So the Chinese obviously leading Bitcoin miners. Why? Because they had all these hydroelectric dams that had energy that they couldn't sell to anyone. And so they were monetizing it with Bitcoin mining. And the same applies to now you see, you know, Russians getting involved in Bitcoin mining, extraordinary amounts of natural gas in, you know, crazy parts of Russia. Um, you know, Texas has got incredibly cheap uh, energy inputs in some places. Um, there's, there's, it's very hard to Bitcoin mine when people are mining off one or two cents, right? You just can't compete. But I'm thinking, wow, what happens now when you can operate in international waters where the, the regulatory hurdles are significantly lower you won't have to pay any rent in order to i, I don't know talk me through it i'm i'm, I'm probably yeah. you're, you're nodding no, away you're you're so, exactly so, right so so how so in th so okay let's break this apart a bit so we Basically, think we can do this faster cheaper more efficient uh by not going the traditional route um when you say faster going... cheaper more efficient you mean bitcoin mining or what are you referring to yeah um, you know, doing Bitcoin mining in the middle of the ocean. Uh, yeah. We think, you know, again, because of those regulatory hurdles, they're yeah. eliminated. You're in international waters. Um, yeah. Brilliant. You can, you know, you can use uh, uh, regulatory arbitrage, whatever, yeah. you know, if you're in the shipping industry, where, where was the flag for all those ships? Um, Certainly Liberia, I Panama, the Marshall Islands. You know, they'll, panel, they'll, they'll open your doors. If you pay them, they'll open the door. No problem. Um, God, how interesting. And so so just from an entrepreneurial perspective, um, the way I look at ideas and how you finance ideas is, you know, what phase you're in. So at this stage, you've got a pretty well-formulated kind of um, product concept, but you haven't yet built a prototype. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so um, the next step is obviously to try and build some kind of prototype. And most investors will say to you, I'm not giving you any money until you show me you can prove that you can do it. So talk to me a bit about that, Nathaniel. How, are you finding it um, difficult to find potential funding? What's the, the reception been for this extraordinary idea, which, you know, I'd never truly <laughs> considered the ramifications of what you're talking about here. But I, I've looked into Bitcoin mining opportunities here in Australia, for example, and, you know, you're trying to get like one project we're working on, Santos. So large oil and gas company. They've got a bunch of gas wells in um, Queensland and, you know, basically northeastern Australia. And we're looking at trying to flare gas Bitcoin mine. And it's just so slow. And there's regulatory hurdles. And, you know, they just don't understand the value of the gas that they're flaring. It's just incredible. They're just burning it into the, into the atmosphere. But... What you're saying is there's actually an energy source out there that no one's going to stop you from using, right? You can just go and do it. So just, yeah, I, I love it. Tell me a bit more about how you're finding this entrepreneurial process and what the feedback's been. Well, the reception's been incredible. It's more than, I, I mean, I, I've been, I, I got kind of, you know, used to the rejection and getting told <laughs> that I'm a... It's, you're an idiot. Yeah, no, well, I have the, uh, I have emails um that got published in you know uh bitcoin magazine there's an article about bias in academia towards bitcoin and i mean i got emails from um economics professors telling me to drop out uh that oh bitcoin's a scam if you can't see that you should just drop out and go work for the winklevoss twins and 
you know, the the Libertarian Party, and which is funny because I actually started and ran the Bernie Sanders campaign here in the state of Hawaii. We won 70% of the vote, but those superdelegates, uh, you know, they, they, uh, we we lost we lost in the super delegates because even though we, we won seventy percent of the vote, uh, the super delegates took that thirty percent, um, and uh, yeah, they they ended up you know getting the the state's votes. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, I got this bias and I got you know discouraged, which is why I had shelved the idea for a number of years. You know, yeah. just helping rich Wasn't guys. The right time. Um, and it turns out that, <laughs> and so I got contracted by the state to do this, uh, this, this talk, um, on, you know, Bitcoin mining and energy. And so I had, I revisited the idea, uh, you know, that I had come up with back in my time at grad school. And I started running the numbers on these things using, you know, outdated papers, um, and not even taking out the cost. And I was like, well, if we had done this in 2017 when I first proposed it, um, it would have paid for itself. We would already be at full scale. Um, also, you know, oh, you know, Hawaii has the most curtailed uh, energy per energy generated in the country. Uh, we can also use it to monetize that. But the end result was, oh, OTEC would have already paid for itself and we would already be, you know, at full scale. Um and so, you know, I had all this this negative feedback, but as soon, uh, you know, now that I've gone and, you know, me and my partner, uh, co-founder, um, Michael, um, you can find him on Twitter at Michael Hawaii. I'm Nate Hawaii. He's Michael Hawaii. Um, you know, we, we've been getting, I mean, the, the reception has been incredible. Um, we're not getting the, I mean, I, so I, I, when I was doing this, um, this talk for the state, um, I had taken, you know, I developed the idea and took it to the guys at Mackay Ocean Engineering. Um, actually, first I took it to some of the, you know, there's there's two of the world's leading uh, researchers on OTEC who spent their 50 year careers literally just writing papers about OTEC and trying to figure out how to get it. Um, you know, I took the idea, uh, gathered up the courage to take this idea and ask them, you know, of course, not not mentioning that it's Bitcoin. Um, eventually, when they asked, well, what are these magic, what is this magic buyer of last resort for OTEC? Oh, well, it's Bitcoin. They go, huh, yeah, okay. So now they're actually on our advisory board. Wow. Um, <laughs> and then they put me in touch with the uh, the lead OTEC engineer at Mackay uh, Ocean Engineering, the guy who, you know, the team that built that first grid-connected OTEC plant. Cool. Um, I took the idea. They validated it um, and said, yeah, this 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 is the, the best chance of getting OTEC to full scale that, you know, we've ever seen. And now they're our engineering partner. So... Uh, we, uh, we have the, you know, we have the, um, we're going to use that existing infrastructure to test the idea. We're going to, you know, do a full cycle integration of OTEC with Bitcoin, right? The first ever, not, not just, you know, co-located mining, um, you know, you generate the energy and plug it into some Bitcoin mining, uh, miners, 
um, we're going to actually fully integrate an en this energy technology, you know, using that cold water. Um, and we're going to fully integrate it for the first time here on the big island of Hawaii using the existing infrastructure, right? That cold water pipe is the single most expensive component, and it's already in place and working. So we're just going to go use the existing infrastructure to prove it. And then that existing infrastructure obviously wasn't built with Bitcoin in mind. Um, so, you know, that's your minimum viable product. Yeah. Then we take what we learned from doing this full integration, small scale, full integration. And then we, we're going to build a, uh, uh, a container that, you know, half the container is OTEC, half the container is Bitcoin mining, fully optimized, um, you know, designed from the ground up for Bitcoin mining using OTEX energy. Um, and we're going to scale that up to, you know, a couple hundred kilowatts. And, you know, test there still using the cold, cold water pipe at um, Nelha. But, you know, once we have that that design for the, you know, container, well, now that design just scales up real nicely. So we prove that, you know, phase one is to prove it works. Phase two is to prove it scales. Phase three is to then take that container design, scale it to 10 megawatts and do some grazing, uh, you know, OTEC grazing mining. And then it's full scale. Um, wow. Fascinating. And and one question that sprung to mind, and sorry, I should say, I love the product roadmap. That all makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but absolutely having a having a working prototype, as small as it might be, is essential because you can say look this is working imagine it at you know 100 exercise um the reason that you were inspired to go down this route was to try and help hawaii become 100 percent renewable one of yep. the one of the elements to the design you've mentioned so far is that you basically you don't need a route to market for your energy so there's no cable and you equally don't have to sit in a specific geographic location so you can actually take the entire tropics as your potential location for doing this. So just coming back to Hawaii specifically, how, how would this concept help Hawaii become 100% renewable? Or is that not necessarily part of the plan any longer? I.e., and I'm thinking out loud here, you have a you have like a roaming unit in the ocean somewhere. How does that get its energy back to Hawaii? Um, I can see that so supporting the Bitcoin network in a brilliant way, but... Does We're it solve do the both. original problem you had? So, you know, the 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 grazing mining, um, while it'll that phrase. Work, grazing, it makes sense, right? Kind of roaming around, yeah. Kind of, and one cool thing about the grazing concept is that, uh, you know, normally if you're moored or, you know, on land like the one here is, uh, you have to release that, you know, the wastewater, the cold water um, below the photic zone of the ocean. So, you know, where, where where the light doesn't reach so that uh, you don't cause like, you know, uh, uh, eutrophication and, you know, harmful algae growth or, you know, you get the red tides. Um, but if you're grazing, you can release it at closer to the surface and you can stimulate that um, biological carbon pump. So as a waste result uh, of grazing OTEC mining, you would get carbon capture and storage. Um, you know, you because that that deep cold water has a lot of nutrients in it, right? Kind of 
kind of circle back to the beginning that deep cold water is full of nitrate phosphate and uh so they can take that those nutrients you know the your photosynthesizers your primary producers take those nutrients if you release it at the surface will uptake those nutrients take carbon from the atmosphere in the upper ocean and then when they die they take that carbon with them so um now, so the, the the grazing concept, while it works at the 100 megawatt scale and is actually profitable, 10 megawatt OTEC uh, Bitcoin mining uh, is probably not going to be super profitable, right? It's just to prove that it works. Um, and all those components that you're, you're cutting at that 10 megawatt scale, uh, they're a manageable portion of the budget at full scale 100 plus megawatt power plants. So, you know, like I said earlier, that that long high voltage cable is the same length, regardless of the size of the plant. Mm. So they don't, you know, they they scale well at the big end, but just don't scale at the small end. So, you know, once we prove with 10 megawatts OTEC, with 10 megawatt OTEC, that it works long term, continuous operation, then we can build 100 plus megawatt, you know, utility scale power plants. And then moor them and connect them to land. Okay, I see. So on the larger end of the scale, um, it will be possible to essentially bring the energy ashore. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And, and to flip that the other way, then. So one of the the really important aspects of Bitcoin's design is its decentralization and the ability for an individual human to run a node that has the entire history of Bitcoin transactions on it and to uphold the consensus uh, of the rules. The same applies with energy and the the fragmentation of Bitcoin mining over the last few years has been a really, really interesting element to, I think, progress, but the mainstream media will print it as, as you know, Bitcoin mining in China is killing the world, et cetera. But really what it's forced everyone to do is find cheap sources of energy in different places and therefore it's become more decentralized do you think that this this grazing concept would kind of add to that picture um and i'm envisaging you know you'd have perhaps you could have a limited liability company that was registered in liberia or panama and that company would have a unit grazing somewhere in the tropics and generating an income i.e., yield from the bitcoin mining that it does so the input for energy is pretty low, i.e. the OPEX, but the actual CAPEX initially is probably quite high to get one of these units built, but you'd pay it off over a certain period of time and therefore the shareholders in the limited company would generate a profit over time and would be incentivized to have many of them, right? If you could build a, this is what you're talking about scaling at the smaller end, I assume. Um, you know, the on the flare, flare gas side of things, you know, what Steve Barber's done in Canada and um, what they're building, it's you know, it's literally like a plug and play option in a container. You just turn it up, whack it on the well site, off you go. We're trying to do stuff similar stuff here in Australia, not as easy from a regulatory perspective as parts of the states and Canada. But um, do we do we see something similar happening potentially with the grazing OTEC solution you're talking about? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, I mean, we're not there yet, of course. This is very heard much of, like ideation. You ever seen the, the future, movie but... Field Field of Dreams? um no i haven't no there's it a sounds line, great though <laughs> uh, there, there's a line of uh line from the movie uh if you build it they will come 
Yep. This guy builds uh, you know, this guy builds a uh he, he's told by like a, an angel, I guess, to build a um a baseball field in the middle of uh nowhere, right? And so he does, and you know, the, the angel tells if you build it, they will come. Um and that's kind of the idea, because there are just I mean, enormous industries that could be built in the middle of the ocean. Um, I mean, there's so many, so much resource. Again, the ocean is 70% of the planet, right? Um, I think it's like 20 or 30% of Earth's total surface area is just the tropical oceans, right? So a third, almost a third of Earth is oceans in the tropics. Um, Uh And there are, you know, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with um, manganese nodules. <laughs> I can't say I know anything about that, no. Uh, there's, actually, I don't know, is this going to be uh, video or just No, audio? Just, just audio I produce out of the moment. Well, you'll this have, is you'll, a... You'll have to describe uh, it. This is a manganese nodule. It is a small... Uh, uh, polymetallic uh conglomeration um it's made up of uh manganese cobalt uh copper nickel um and there're these these little balls of metal uh that are essentially just sitting you know on the ocean's floor uh these these little balls about the size of uh you know an apple uh apple to you know i mean they're they're small ones there's large Larger ones that are the size of a melon, and they take you know millions of years to form, and they contain you know those four metals that I just quoted uh, in greater abundance than are available terrestrially, right? So we source all the co- cobalt for our phones, our solar panels, the batteries, you know, um, from essentially slave mines in uh, the Congo right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, there's more cobalt available in these little balls of metal that are just littering um, the ocean floor uh, in the middle of the Pacific. And it blew, the the problem we've known about, these aren't new. They've been around for about 70. We've known about them for 70 plus years now. We've studied them. Um, we, we've, uh, you know, Lockheed Martin has designed equipment to go get them, you know, tested it proof of concept um the un through the international seabed authority has uh parceled up the land and sold the mining rights to countries um and uh the first uh they they actually have to issue the first permit next year uh to go get them but it it's not that's not going to happen uh and the reason why we haven't gone and got them already is because you know ocean oceanic mining doesn't reach cost parity with terrestrial mining and the main cost component that it ends up boiling down to is the cost of energy in the middle of the ocean um there is no good energy source to power i mean a a large-scale mining operation requires just an absolute incredible amount of energy um And so, you know, you would have to burn diesel in the middle of the ocean, you know, uh, and 
And then, you know, because of the cost of energy and shipping diesel to the middle of the ocean uh, is just too high, uh, you have the only, you know, you'd have to pull these polymetallic, these manganese nodules up. And you it, it's in this slurry of, you know, sediment, mud, uh, and then, you know, a huge volume of, uh, you know, sludge that then you have to transport to land for processing. Well, not only could you power the mining equipment with OTEC, because all of the four major manganese nodule regions lie in the tropics. Um, not only could you power the equipment, but you could power the processing plant for them. So, you know, if you build it, they will come as well. If, you know, let's say we have a hundred megawatt OTEC plant and, you know, a grazing mining plant, we're mining Bitcoin. Well, they'll come uh, mine, mine, actual, actually mine, uh, yeah. you know, ethically source these minerals. And what's kind of cool about the way that it's done is, you know, unlike the distribution on land where it's wherever, wherever you find it, right? You know, for cobalt, it's in the Congo. And so it's done by slave, by slaves, uh, you know, child slaves. Um, and there's nothing really you can do about that. Well, because these are in international waters, there's been a concerted effort to sort of equally uh, distribute these to third world countries. So, you know, out of the, the total area, um, out of the total area of these manganese nodules uh, that, you know, are, uh, you know, could be commercially profitable, half of it is reserved for, you know, natural preserves. Um, and then of that half that's been parceled up already and sold to countries um, and, you know, uh, uh, and multinational corporations, uh, of that half that is permitted for mining, half of each parcel is reserved for um, a third world country, you know, a developing nation, um, you know, someplace that may not have any other natural resources. So... You know, it's really it, it's in reality, it's actually the single most, um, you know, uh, I guess egalitarian uh, distribution of minerals the Earth has ever seen. Um, there's just no energy source to go get them. And then in addition, you can do, you know, with with dirt cheap energy in the middle of the ocean, you could you know, theoretically have uh, hydrogen production, green hydrogen production at parity with steam methane reforming. Um, you know, right now, green, even though we're the, the governments of the world are pouring all this money into hydrogen production, uh, there's no way to get green hydrogen. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't exist uh, because it's three times the cost of, you know, just doing steam methane reforming. But dirt cheap energy in the middle of the ocean well now green hydrogen well, is you'll end up getting um so who is it um uh ross stevens i don't know if you've read any of his stuff but um he talks brilliantly about the future civilization of humans being centered around new places like when you look at the current um map of the world like most populous centers are 
around waterways so like almost like a city is like a node the nodes that have grown biggest are around the most popular and and busy highways but basically around rivers and ports Um, but now you don't need to be there because you can decentralize your energy production to far-flung parts of the world that weren't previously possible and you can create cheap energy on site that you consume there and then and any that you don't use you can sell for the first time, you can sell it into an international market 24-7 at whatever the spot price for Bitcoin is. It's a complete like revelation in terms of like future city planning. You can go anywhere you want, essentially, as long as you can find that, that stranded energy asset. And why not the ocean? Like There'll probably be settlements floating on the oceans with units like what you're, you're dreaming about, uh, helping to power those, those, those communities. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Wow. The problem with seasteading has always been energy. It all it all comes down to energy. Um, yeah. And not being on a hurricane path. <laughs> exactly. But you can plan that. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay, well, so um, well, given that your your Twitter is Nate Hawaii, I imagine that your uh, closer friends call you Nate. So Nate, lovely to meet you. Um, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah, well, my last question is always, how can people get in touch? But you've kind of given that away by talking about at Nate Hawaii is probably the easiest option, isn't it? Is there anywhere else that you'd like to direct people to if they're listening out there? No, no, uh, it would it would be my email, but uh, I I only use Twitter because I was kind of forced into it. Um, yeah. I don't have any other uh, social media and. I don't want to give out my email to the world. <laughs> no, that's all right. No, no. Twitter's perfect. It's it's a very, very um, valuable meeting place. It's got some problems that need to be addressed too, but it's the best solution we have for now. So, um, okay. Well, thanks so much for your time and enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, this has been lovely. Um, thank you so much for having me. Total pleasure. And of course, um, if I can help in any way at all, just let me know. I love what you're working on. So good luck building it. And I'm sure there'll be all sorts of partners that pop out of the woodwork that come and help you. So good luck with that. Thank you. We have some big announcements coming up. Aloha. Yeah, take care. (laughs) Bye-bye. Well done, friends. You made it to the end of the episode. I couldn't be more grateful for you sharing this time with me and putting your energy into this project. If you like what you hear, please, first and foremost, share it with your friends and family. Getting the message out to those around us nearest and dearest, I think is one of the most important things we can possibly do. On top of that, wherever you listen to this, please rate, subscribe, share, etc. I'd really appreciate the support there as I try and build out this podcast. And lastly, I'm looking to build a network of startups and founders in this space. So if you know anyone that's interested in building a business and is looking for investment, please send them in my direction. Thank you so much, guys. You've been listening to Bitcoin with Jake. Thank you.